I just want to say welcome again, welcome to Embrace. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Pastor Christopher. I'm one of the pastors at Embrace. I want to welcome everyone in the house on this side of the stage, everybody on this side of the stage. And I, I always love to acknowledge and bless everyone that's tuning in online. But today, that's just a little closer to my heart because right now, my lovely wife is out there in cyberspace with everyone tuning in. She's right now waiting to get on a plane to come back to California. She's been gone all weekend. My kids survived with just daddy all weekend. Uh, but we love and bless everyone that's tuning in online. We love you and welcome you. And I love you, sweetheart. I can't wait till you're here. She is 2,364.1 miles away. And I'm just ready for that to be a smaller number. I am ready for mama to come home. Today I'm going to be talking again about answering the right questions. And we've been in this season where there's so many questions and there's so little answers. There's so much up in the air and so much that we don't know, may never know. And so it's imperative, especially in this season, that we're not only asking the right questions, but that we're answering the right questions. We know for sure, and we just experienced, that God is causing us to raise up a prophetic, warring worship. Wasn't that amazing? Yeah. Wasn't that amazing today? And, and I know that Daddy wants us to realize that we're a part of a bigger picture. I love the video that we saw of Pastor Samuel in D.C. because it gets the picture that this is something happening on a big scale. We are one part of the body and the body is big. And I know that God wants us to realize we're part of something greater. It's not just here at Embrace that we're raising up this prophetic, this warring worship. It's happening all over this country and I believe all over the world. <clears throat> and it's a big deal. It reminds me of when, you guys may remember the story of Jehoshaphat when he's going up against Moab and Ammon. There's two armies coming against Israel and they're on their way to the battle zone. And they make a decision to put the worshipers out front. You guys remember this story? Amen. And what happens? They decide to put the musicians on the front line of battle. And by the time they got to the war zone, the battle was over. The battle was already won. That's the flavor of what I'm going to be speaking about today as we get into answering the right question. I know that we're in a season where we need our Father to come and heal our land. And I remember, you guys know the verse, we've quoted it several times, but it's if my people will humble themselves and pray. Not if the people that don't know me yet will humble themselves and pray, but if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. And so when I see the body getting together like we are in D.C. and like we're worshiping here, I can see that we are making the steps for our Father to come and heal the land, and we need it so desperately. We need it. So today, I'm going to be talking about answering the question of what. What is a question of focus? So I'm going to be talking about what, how we need to focus today. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6. <laughs> As we get ready to focus, I, I began to realize 
that there are things that we as a, a body need to realize and there are things that we need to resist. It's like in every one of these categories, as I was going over my message for today, there were things we need to realize and things we need to resist. And it's been a challenging season, right? I think this may be the most challenging season to be able to focus. There's so much happening. There's so much happening all around us. There's times when it feels like the enemy. So let me clarify, too. When I say enemy today, I'm talking about a spiritual enemy. I'm not talking about an image of God that doesn't know him yet that maybe disagrees with the way that I think. I'm talking about the devil, the kingdom of darkness, powers, principalities, devils. That's our enemy. That's who we're fighting. And we're in battle. And there's been times in this season where it's felt like we've had enemies coming at us from every direction. There's been moments where it just feels like we're surrounded. And so the first question when we're considering how to focus and answering the question of what, the first question is, what do I do when the enemy shows up? We already know what we're supposed to do as a body. We're releasing this prophetic warfare worship, and it's shifting everything. But we need to know what happens. What do we do when the enemy shows up? And so we're going to read here in 2 Kings chapter 6. And I'm going to start in verse 8. And it says in verse 8, Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. And the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of the passing of that place because the Armenians are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on that place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. And he summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me which one of us is on the side of the king of Israel. None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. (laughs) Now that's prophetic warfare right there. And that's what we're tapping into even in our worship service here. That's prophetic warfare. We are beginning right now to lean into this style of warfare. This is what war looks like for us right now. And so in this scenario, the king of Aram is pretty mad. He's ticked off. Can I say ticked off? He's ticked off at Elisha. So he changes his focus from the king of Israel to the man of God. So now he's attacking God. And he's coming after Elisha. And this is one of my favorite passages of scripture. Here's Elisha and his servant. And they're in the city. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 15. And it says in 15, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. You guys felt what I felt when I read that. Yes and amen. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elijah prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full 
of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. (laughs) Those that are with us are more than are with them. So the first thing we need to realize is that we have the advantage. It can feel like we're isolated. It can feel like we're alone. But we got to see that we're actually a part of the bigger army. And even if we can't see with our natural eyes, we are surrounded, the Bible even says, by a cloud of witnesses. We're surrounded by those that went before us and the faith of our forefathers. I love the fact that Dave's teaching a class on the American covenant because the people that founded this nation did it under God, indivisible because it was under God. One nation. We have the advantage regardless of who we think the enemy is. In uh, the city that they were in here in, in this passage was Dothan. I think I'm saying that right. It was the exact same place where Joseph caught up with his brothers. If you remember when Joseph was sent to find his brothers, and then they came up with a scheme of throwing him in the pit and selling him into slavery. The very same city is where they came against the man of God. And it's like, I see this picture of when, when Elijah and his servant were standing on the hill, it was very clear who the enemy was. It was the army and the horses. But when Joseph was running into that very same city, it wasn't very clear to him who the enemy was. In fact, it was his own family that threw him in a pit and sold him into captivity. I'm suggesting it wasn't his brothers that was the enemy. And it wasn't King Aram and his forces that were the enemy. It's the powers of darkness. We are coming up against, not against flesh and blood. I mean, the the Bible says we war not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and devils and demons in in diverse places. That's where our warfare is going. I think we just had on Wednesday our, just a little plug for Deep Wells. Thank you, Deep Wells. (laughs) Consistent Bible study. And at least in a recent week, we were talking about who our enemy was, and I'm sure that it was touched on. Our enemy's not flesh and blood. When I look at the people that are dynamically disagreeing with me in this season, dy- dynamically disagreeing with me on politics, dynamically disagreeing with how my kids should be taught in school, those people are actually a picture of Jesus. All of us were made in God's image. So we got to get in our crosshairs the right enemy. If we fire at the right enemy, we're going to hit. And it looks like prophetic warfare. I believe that in this scenario, Elisha's servant was being set up. I also believe in this scenario, Joseph was being set up. And I believe right now in this scenario, we are being set up. Elisha's servant's eyes were open and he could see the chariots of heaven. Joseph ended up stepping into second in command of the most powerful nation on earth. What is daddy doing with us? Where are we headed? It's not to destruction. It's not to slavery. We can't even see. I was telling some people this morning, I'm, I'm kind of trying to ramp up. We're still waiting to get a video in order to, to rally support and get the word out that Esau's launching. I'll probably need your help with that. Getting the word out that we're starting our school of ministry. But I was talking to people. Yeah, come on. 
but I was talking to people even, even this morning before service, and I can just feel there's something happening. And I tried to describe it, and what it felt like to me, the only way I can describe it, is when I read about the waters hoving up on themselves as the children of Israel walk through on dry ground. That's what I feel like is happening in my spirit in anticipation for what our daddy is going to do. Can you feel the difference? In one way, you think that, you know, the country is going to Hades. That's what it feels like. But the reality is God is setting us up for something. He's coming back for a perfect bride. I'll throw this out there. I'm not going to get into eschatology today, but it doesn't take a lot of faith to believe things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse for the church. That doesn't take a lot of faith. I'm throwing that out there. I'm going to get right back on track. But the devil has definitely been getting in our face about a lot of things. And we've got to stop reacting when the devil shows up and begin to respond the right way. It's pretty normal. I mean, let's say you're on your way to Walmart and you're getting ready to walk in the doors and Lucifer, boop, pops up right in front of you. Pretty normal response. Whoa, going the other way. I'll shop at Walmart tomorrow. That's pretty normal, right? If you're going, if you're driving down the road and a demon shows up in the middle of the road, what's going to happen? Let's stop the car. That's what we should do. We should run him over. Yeah, just make sure he's a demon. Listen, when I'm on my way to Walmart and the devil shows up, I need to remember why did I go to Walmart? I probably went to Walmart because my family's hungry and they need food. And I can't let the devil stop me from going where I'm going and doing what I'm doing. I feel this thing in my spirit that we've got to realign and we have to relook at what warfare looks like. In James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Submit yourselves then to God. That's step one. I think we're there. Submit yourselves to God and then resist the devil and he will flee from you. He's the one that has to run. If I'm walking along my life and the devil pops out, he's got to get out of my way because I'm a son of the king. Nothing trumps God. We've got to get to the point where we stop stopping in our tracks. We have to quit stopping in our tracks as we see the enemy. <laughs> God tells us right here what to do when the devil gets in your face. We don't have to run from the devil. We just have to resist. All we have to do is resist, and the devil is the one that has to run. But there is a time when we're supposed to run. You guys know when that is? You know what the context is? It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, remember, greater, is, uh, greater are those that are with us than are those that are with them. So as we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run. With perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. There is a race marked out for each one of us. And I don't believe that what God's calling us to is to be crazy and go and stand on top of a table at a restaurant and begin to minister that way. God's not asking us to be complete weirdos. But God is asking us as we are walking in our daily life, the way spiritual warfare works is if the enemy gets in our way, Plow him over. 
Declare the presence of God. Don't let him deter us. Don't let him make you take one degree off of the course that you're on. Because greater is he that's with us. He runs <laughs> because if he doesn't, he'll get plowed over. All we have to do is resist what he's doing. He can't stop God. And hear this. God is moving forward right now. God isn't waiting until COVID's over to move forward. God isn't waiting until all the writing's over to move forward. God isn't waiting until the politicians figure it out and election day comes to move forward. God is right now advancing his kingdom. So if the devil's in your face, resist, and he's the one that runs. It talked there about the sin that so easily besets us. What's that look like? That looks like temptation comes, and I grab that thing, and I throw it down. That's what warfare looks like right now. Temptation's going to come. We just have to throw it off. The devil's going to come. We just have to resist him. The key here is the very end of the verse where it says, focus on Jesus and run to your assignment. I believe as kids of the king, I can't go to Walmart without being on assignment. Every step that I take, there's a splash of the spirit. Every step that I take, boom, I'm taking ground for Jesus. It doesn't matter where we go. It doesn't matter who you run into. It doesn't matter how big the army is that surrounds the city that you're in. It doesn't matter how big the giant looks. It doesn't matter how crazy the laws may get. Nothing is towering over God. In fact, we have a big God and a little devil. (laughs) It all comes down to our focus. If we continue to focus on the enemy, we could run away. But if we focus on Jesus, the enemy is small and you stay on target. I want to share with you guys a couple of verses out of one of my favorite passages on spiritual warfare. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you, but it's in Acts chapter 16. And it's a picture of what ministry can look like in the presence of the enemy. In Acts chapter 16, verse 16, it says, this is Paul and Silas. They were on their way to the house of prayer. And it says, in verse 16 of chapter 16, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. What? I remember reading that one time, and it's like that hit me between the eyes. She did this for days. For days, Paul and Silas had this demon-possessed weirdo chasing after them and yelling. Now, I think most of us would probably cave after a few minutes, right? So here's my assignment. I'm supposed to go to Walmart, and I'm walking to Walmart, and I got a demon-possessed weirdo yelling behind me. Most of us would freak out. Most of us would react to what the enemy is doing. That's the thing I believe God is cutting off right now, the reaction to the enemy, and instead we need to respond to God. It says here that finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned 
And he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Well, why didn't he do it days before that? Why didn't he do it way back in the beginning, five minutes into her following after them and yelling? Paul realized something that we've got to get a hold of today. And that is the work of the enemy is not powerful over the work of God. The things that he's doing most of the time is just smoke and mirrors. I feel like half the time the enemy doesn't even have a plan. He just does the opposite of what God's doing. So if I see something bad, I just do the opposite. I just operate in the opposite spirit of what I see the enemy doing. And it probably lines up with God. I have to believe that the ministry that Paul and Silas were doing was not inhibited. It wasn't watered down. It wasn't um, held back by this demon-possessed weirdo yelling at the top of her lungs as they ministered. There was a settling that he had that he knew his daddy was bigger. By the way, when I say daddy, it's not a term of disrespect. I've experienced what we all need to experience, this, this position of, I'm the son of God, and, and I think we felt it this morning, and I can literally crawl up into my daddy's lap, and I can put my head on his chest. In fact, it's imperative. We have to be kids that are willing to crawl up in our daddy's lap and put our head on his chest and begin to hear his heartbeat because then I can just line everything up with his heartbeat. That's what prophecy is. When we're talking about prophetic worship, it's lining up our worship with what our daddy is doing. It's lining up our worship with what our daddy is saying. That's prophetic worship, and that's what we're called into right now as our warfare. Yeah, where is a safer place than in your daddy's lap? One of my favorite examples of this is one of my heroes of the faith, uh, Smith Wigglesworth. That guy, I have a lot of heroes of the faith, but Smith Wigglesworth was sleeping one time, and some of you guys know this already. He was sleeping one night, and there was some kind of commotion in his living room, and it woke him up. And so he had some kind of staircase because he came down a spiraling staircase or something, and when he got almost to the bottom of the stairs, he was looking into his living room, and guess who he saw sitting on his couch? He saw Lucifer himself, not a demon, not a power, not a principality, not a devil, not a nymph, not a Nephilim. It was, G- it was Satan himself sitting right there on his couch. So you could probably imagine what he did. What would you do? He didn't, you know, start praying in tongues. He didn't start, you know, rebuking the enemy. He had an understanding of how big our daddy is and how small the devil is. And so he literally said, oh, it's just you. And he went back up and laid down and went to sleep. Jesus, in the middle of the storm where everybody's freaking out and everyone's sure they're going to die, is sleeping in the bottom of the boat. There's a settling that we need in our spirit on this. <laughs> we don't have to worry about what the enemy's doing. We don't have to focus on what he's doing. We need to be aware, but we shouldn't be focusing on what the enemy's doing. We need to, it's imperative, we have to lean into the heart of our Father to feel his heartbeat and begin to line things up with that. That's our warfare right now. That's what daddy's up to. That's what we're doing as his kids. 
And as we focus on what God is doing, we need to realize God is advancing his kingdom. God is assembling the Avengers. God is equipping and mobilizing an army. God is calling us into prophetic warfare worship. And God is pulling those of us together who will say yes. I believe that those of us sitting here right now are those that are saying yes. But what does that mean exactly? I think the second question that we need to answer today is what does my yes mean? Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus brings such a simplicity to some of the things that we make so complicated. And I love that. As a kid, I just want my daddy to boil it down for me. I don't need a list of a hundred things I need to do in in order to accomplish something. I just need the simple truth. And that simple truth can set me free. That simple truth can allow me to step past hurdles that I would smack into if I was focused on the hurdles. It's very clear to me that God gives us choice. He's a good father. I've tried to model that with my kids. When my kids were growing up, I would say, do you want to drink out of the blue cup or do you want to drink out of the red cup? I've tried to instill in them decision-making because it's his idea. So we have choice. We get to choose, when it comes to our yes, we get to choose what we say yes to and what we say no to. I used to say that I have a really big yes, but after today, I might have to redefine that yes. In Matthew 5, starting in verse 33, it says, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Here's Jesus flipping the script again. And he says, But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. And I love this part. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. (laughs) God wants a simple yes from us. When you give a simple yes, you don't have to make an oath. My yes is yes and my no is no. God wants your yes. And we don't have to swear by anything. We don't have to bargain with God. I can remember several times when I was a kid. I don't remember what the scenarios were now. That's how important it was. But as a kid, I remember moments where I was like, oh, God, if you'll only do this, then I promise I'll do this, this, and this. Moments where I'm trying to almost bargain with God. And actually, that's kind of gross. Right? I mean, think about it. It's almost trying to manipulate God. Hey, let's strike a deal, Daddy. If you do this, then I'll do several things. We're not going to entice God by our offers. But we have a Father who breaks down all of that busyness and says, I'm asking from you a simple yes. Not an oath, not a promise, not a bunch of stakes on the table. I just need your yes. But he also wants us to feel the weight of that yes. It's not simply saying three letters in a word. The thing we need to realize when we're asking the question of what and focusing when it comes to our yes 
Let this settle in. When you say yes to something, you're actually saying no to everything else. If you have a simple yes and a word from the Lord, you can do anything. I remember when, I, when Christy and I used to live in Ohio, I thought I would never, ever move to Southern California where I now live. So many bad stories. So many crazy things happening. Freaked my brain out. Freaked my daddy heart out. I remember in 2007, I picked up a book called When Heaven Invades Earth by Bill Johnson. I'm reading this book, and it's kingdom language. I'd never heard kingdom language before, but it was giving me terminology for the way that I've felt my entire life. And I looked around me, and none of the other pastors in the area, none of the other churches in the area were talking like this. And I got excited in my heart, and I'm like, man, I got to find this guy. I got to talk to this guy. And I flipped over the book, and it's got his little bio there, and I can still remember the picture. I've got it at home. I see the picture of Bill and this bio, and I'm reading it. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And it gets to the point where he's living in Redding, California. And I'm like, okay. So I flipped the book back over. I said, I'll never be connected with a guy in Redding, California. I live in Ohio. I've got a wife and a kid. My wife's never been more than 30 miles from where she was born. How am I going to end up in California? By the way, 2,364.1 miles away. I remember I was concerned about the San Andreas Fault living in Ohio. <laughs> I was sure. Everyone told me, everyone told me that California's going to fall off in the ocean. So I was sure I didn't want to be in that. I remember reading about and hearing about all of the left wing, the liberal, however you want to say it, the views that are really prevalent here. But I had a moment where God asked me to pick up my family and to move to California. And I simply said yes. And I don't believe I've ever looked back. That doesn't mean I don't miss my family. That doesn't mean I don't miss my friends. It doesn't mean I don't miss, you know, the relationships and, and everything we had established there. But when you follow Daddy and you give him your yes, he's leading you into more than you could ever imagine. And your wildest dreams, you can't put together what he's doing. That's why I say right now we're being set up. And it may feel like you're being thrown in a pit or it may be feel like you're th sold into slavery or, or that there's an army camping all the way around you. I just want you to know this morning, Daddy's up to something. And even if you can't see it, it's bigger than you can imagine. When Christy and I moved to California a little over four years ago now, I remember driving into the state and we, we got into the city and we parked our truck and we got out. And the weirdest feeling came over me. I felt at home for the first time. It let me know that for 35 plus years, I didn't feel at home in Ohio. I just didn't know. I would have never known if I didn't give my simple yes. But I don't think I've ever looked back. And so the thing we need to resist when we're talking about our yes is looking back. We're built to move forward. If you guys remember, I talked about the spiritual armor about a month ago. There's a reason why there's nothing on our back. We're actually designed to be moving forward always. 
We're never supposed to be in retreat. We're never supposed to back up when we see the enemy. We're never supposed to get off the course that we're on. Bill has this phrase, it may be in that book that I read, but Bill has this phrase, if you look at the past long enough, you become a monument instead of a movement. Wow. Wow. God is moving. We are his kids, and the kingdom is right now steadily advancing. That's what's happening. That's who we are. That's what God's up to. And everything needs to line up with what our daddy has told us to say yes to. The last question I want to hit real quick is what's in my diet? I think that one of the imperative questions for us to figure out right now is what are we feeding on? There's a lot that is even trying to be shoved down our throats in this season. I want you guys to turn with me to Psalms 23. And it's just so good, we're going to read the whole thing. Don't freak out, it's only six verses. This is the kind of stuff that we're supposed to be feeding on. This reality. Psalms 23, verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What does God want me to feed on right now? What does God want you to feed on right now? We lack nothing. He refreshes our soul. We're on the right path. We fear no evil. And I love this part. God can prepare a banquet for us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our head with oil. Our cup overflows. His goodness and love will follow us, chase after us. And I will dwell in God's house forever. We need to realize this morning that what we're feeding on does not depend on our circumstance or situation. What I'm going through doesn't determine what I get to eat. This is what I'm supposed to eat. We have a choice in what we're going to eat. What we feed on matters. If I go out, I don't know, there was that show, Supersize Me, and it just proves you can't eat fast food every day. What we're eating matters. And so we need to resist the urge to gobble up all of the social media and the propaganda that is literally being shoved down people's throats. Here's what we need to focus on. We need to focus on the word. We need to focus on what God is up to. Jesus did two things while he was on the earth. The son of God, God incarnate, only did two things. Whatever the father was doing, and he only said whatever the father was saying. That is literally the blueprint of ministry. That's all we need to do to minister to the world. We need to focus on 
Things like this, John 6, 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. That's what we need to eat. Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Meditate on those things. When you meditate, you're feeding your soul. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because why? Will be filled and on and on and on and on God gives us such a buffet of things to eat on I have to turn off my brain and turn off the news sometimes and begin to eat the right thing it changes my energy level it changes my awareness it changes how I feel it changes how I'm reacting to everybody and everything it changes whether I'm sleepy or not So we need, the last, the last thing, we need Jesus. We need a Jesus Bible and kingdom meal plan. I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Jason to come on up here. Pastor Jason has some really cool announcements. I just want to take a moment to summarize everything we talked about today. So the first question, what do I do when the enemy shows up? Realize we have the advantage. Resist the devil and he runs. Throw down temptation and focus on Jesus and run to your assignment. Focus on what God is doing, not what the enemy is doing. What does my yes mean? A simple yes. A simple yes to something is no to everything else. It's resisting the urge to look back, and it's causing everything to focus and line up with the main thing, what Daddy has said for us to say yes to. And then what I'm eating matters. I need to resist the urge to gobble up what we're trying to be fed right now and begin to eat on this buffet that we have in the presence of our enemies.